In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hi, and welcome to Between the Lines. On this show, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey, and I encourage you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go Between the Lines. People discover their love of writing in several different ways. For some, it was an introduction at school through writing assignments handed out by their teachers. For others, it may have been simply by reading and wondering if they might be able to write stories and poetry. Every writer has a different starting point in their writing journey. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar, but the one thing all writers share in common is a different destination. On this episode, I will be speaking with... Andrew Shaughnessy, who I have learned likes to be called Andy. Andrew has been a member of my writing group on social media for a few years now. Those that know him will recognize him as one of the regular contributors to the Canadian Creative Writers writing prompts I post daily. In March of 2020, we were introduced to a couple of Andy's characters in some of the prompts, these characters, Walter and Muriel, are now regular features in our group. Andy is an intellectual property litigation lawyer who hails from Toronto, where he lives with his wife Andrea and his dog Freddie, and where he used to live with his daughter Brooke, who is now off to school. Andy will tell you he is a writer and not an author, but that is not strictly true. He is the co-author of a professional text on Canadian patent law, he teaches advocacy at the University of Toronto Law School and in his field is a sought-after advocate, speaker, and presenter. Hello, Andy, and welcome to Between the Lines. Based on previous conversations, I know you scarcely consider yourself as an author, per se. From your own admission, you consider yourself a writing imposter. What then to you is the difference between an author and a writer? Well, let, let me just put a gloss on that. I, I said to you that sometimes I feel like I suffer from imposter syndrome because okay. I'm, you know, certainly in, in the CCW and in the other writing communities, there's a lot of people whose, whose primary focus is writing. Their professional calling is writing. You're a writer. This is what you do. And you've got published works. And, you know, I've got a paper here. I've got a short story there. I write a book on patent law. That's, that's within my professional space, but I, but I have yet to write 
anything recent or modern other than a short story in 2014. So I think the difference is that, you know, as a writer, I can call myself that. I think in order to be an author, I think you've got to be published. And I think in order to be published, that's just not getting a book published and, and, and getting it out there. I mean, that's mechanical. What I mean is I think that by the time that a writer is at that point, I think that they've established a voice, they've established a craft, and they've shown a certain aptitude of being able to remember we talked about the arc of developing an arc of a story and making mm-hmm. and to some extent i still feel like a little puppy in the field i like to chase anything that comes within my eyes but <laughs> um but i i still think you know i i will always maintain that as long as you're writing and you know that i'm i'm quite prodigious in posting uh to your prompts mm-hmm. i'm going to consider myself a writer but um but i think that's the big difference maybe when i do something that's personal and i and i can get published then i'll consider myself an author okay so the next question then is which do you think you'd be most content as a writer or an author oh i think absolutely i'd be most content as uh, as a writer the lead off to your your podcast randy always talks about the fact that there are people at different stages of the writing journey. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who have been doing it for a long time. And, and I've been doing other things, and I continue to do other things. I have a day job, and, and I actually have a publishing contract, so I hope my publisher's not listening. But I, I think that what I find, what I, what, I, what I think I get from the writing is the fact that I'm able to take myself into a different world and in a different place, and I really enjoy the process. I, I will say this, though. You know, I, I, and I probably overpost. There's a lot of people wagging their heads right now, I'm sure, but, uh, or shaking their heads, not shaking their heads, sorry, wagging their shins. That's what I meant to say. But there is a certain amount, you know, when I get a thumbs up or I get a, that's really good. I really enjoyed that. There's an affirmation that comes from that that I think is going to become a little bit more addictive as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a writer, especially when he or she has developed their voice, they're going to want to get that affirmation from from a readership. So that's probably, I don't know, that's a transition I'm not ready for yet, but it, I think it's coming. You know, for me, it's not so, I don't really, and, I, and I've and i maintained this and I, I hold true to this, is that I don't really care what people think. It's it's not about, it's just I need to write, put it out there, right? Because it's, and, you know, as as my, as I quote myself in most of my books, I write not because I have something to say, but because there may be something you need to hear. So it's not about me and, you know, liking, well, it means nothing. It's an opinion, right? How does it make you feel? Then I'm interested. But like or whatever, that's that means nothing to you. You can put a little thumbs up. That's great, whatever. But I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for a thousand likes. You know, and and I think that's I think that's a point that's really worth mentioning because I, I think that the minute that you, you know, you feel that you need to have that positive affirmation to write, you know, you take, you take everything it, and you're not getting it. You take everything and you take it underground. And once you take it underground, then what had become a habit then becomes happenstance. And, and I really think for me, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I, on Canada rights, I, I post some poems and silly stuff like that. And on your post, you know, I like doing my, my daily prompts, but I do like entering contests. I, I do from time to time get an honorable mention or I, 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 I do okay. And that, and that feels good. And that just, just means that, that my writing craft is improving. Mm. But ultimately, you know, I, I remember doing, uh, answering a contest, uh, writing a contest, and, they, and it had to do with a beauty salon. And I told my daughter, I said, I've never been in a beauty salon. <laughs> if you're looking at me now, you know I've got a face made for radio. <laughs> we were joking in the day because my, my daughter and uh, came in with my wife and said, we should take him for a walk, but I think he's living his weekend in a beauty salon. 
because I had made her take me to all these beauty salons on Young Street in Toronto where I live just so I could see the scene. And then I, I went inside the scene in my mind. It's deeply relaxing and deeply satisfying. As long as you can, you can tease out of that experience a story that has a point that, that says something. I'm sorry. I just had a vision of you sitting under one of those dome dryers. <laughs> You're just saying that because I got headphones on right now. Well, it, it kind of fits. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a short story or a novel that you've read? Uh, which sticks out in your mind that caused you to want to write? Oh, a short story that caused me to want to write. I mean, I read some time ago, I read Hills Like White Elephants by Ernest Hemingway. Mm. And what, what, I don't know why that story, like, I'm, I'm not a huge Hemingway uh, fan. I, I read For Whom the Bell Tolls. I think he had his craft. But that particular story, you know, he conveyed so much meaning with so little writing, his writing was extremely focused. It was dialogue driven. You know, what do you know about the characters? I think, I think at one point there's, there's the, the female characters referred to as, you know, or maybe it was the American with a white hat, very little. Yeah. And so that suggested to me that there was something there. And so I, I'd really enjoy reading short stories, but that was kind of the start that propelled me on it. I then took a course at uh, the University of Toronto in their School of Continuing Studies that was taught by Dennis Bock. And Dennis Bock just, you know, wrote that great book, The Good German, that just came out. And I really enjoyed that, that point. And I think the short story, that course has really propelled me on, on pursuing short stories. Excellent. Walter and Muriel. Uh, now have a small following. Uh, yeah, that's a good word, I guess. Uh, have a small following of readers, including myself, who enjoy their musings. Did you ever imagine they might resonate with people the way they have? No, I, I, I didn't. You know, you'll recall, Randy, that Walter and Muriel poked their heads out in March of 2020. And they weren't a regular fixture. I think by last summertime, they started to show up a little bit more, but they're predominantly what I, what I, the vehicles through which I, I respond, uh, on your prompts. And, and I don't know what, it, what it is. You know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I, I didn't have a, their characters fully formed when they appeared. They sort of teach me about themselves every time as we move forward. I'm anxious to see what tomorrow's prompt is because it literally does, you know, I look at it. I take Fred, my dog for a walk around the block. We kind of think of a few things, things have hit me and, and then I see the arc and away I go. Mm. And they're, for me, I mean, they're, they really are the focus of my writing right now, at least in terms of responding to the prompts and uh, they're fun, but I'm, I'm pleased that people like them. You know, I'm not trying to be a Stuart McLean, not by any stretch. I mean, he's, He's done something that's completely different. I just wanted to have just a little something that people might open every morning while they're having their coffee and have a have a smile on their face. I happen to enjoy the Vinyl Cafe. So with Walter and Muriel, is, is there, in your mind, is there a way this can validate your talent as a writer? Is there a way that this can validate my talent as a writer? Uh, he says, repeating the question, which is which is a lawyer's device for buying uh, time, by the way. <laughs> my great grandfather used to tell me I'd be a good lawyer because I yeah. repeated questions and I knew how to lie. Yeah, I had uh, one of my colleagues in court once. I said, "Why do you repeat yourself so much?" Because I need the time to think. So, so it's a great question because you know you'll see that they've changed a little bit. Walter and Muriel used to start with just some little silly vignette, 
And now I try to start with, you know, it's always a crossword puzzle and a word and an introduction. I try to introduce something that I hope the readers find new and interesting, and I try to at least circle a story back on itself. And to try and do that in a few hundred words, I think, is is a challenge. So, so, so that's one thing. But I think overall, what am I trying to achieve with Walter and Muriel? And I I don't know. You know, they came out at a time where we were going through the pandemic where, you know, it's been a number of years since I lost my parents, but my wife's parents are in their 90s. And I I just asked the question, what what is the the purpose of life after retirement? What are people doing, especially as we're all living at home every day? And Walter and Muriel are teaching me that, you know, there's there's discovery every day, Mm -hmm. um, that you, you can create purpose out of very little and contentment out of very little. You'll notice that I haven't aged them. I think that they're in their 70s. I haven't told you where they live because I want people to, to, to connect with them. I want them to think that they could be any person at any time. Could be anybody's so neighbor. Could be. And and I, and I think they'd be good neighbors. But I, I really think, though, so that within the craft of the short story, I think I've got a larger purpose in mind. And so I think that they will help me draw something out of me that I didn't know existed. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Has your reading preferences changed over the years, over the course of your life, uh, as a teen, as an adult, and in your present stage of life? Yeah. So as a, as a kid, Randy, I was always streamed for the sciences and the maths. So I was not a big reader, didn't really like it. Obviously, I told you I'm a lawyer, so I had to go to law school at one point, and that was a big surprise in terms of taking on the reading load. And from my late 20s until I would say my 40s, most of my reading has been technical, right? I do I do patent litigation. I do IP law. I've done some copyright work. In the course of doing some copyright work, I did happen to act for, for some actors. And at one point, I decided that I should read one of their works, and I did. And up until that point, everything would be nonfiction, Right. My patent text is not, it's not a flight of fancy. It's not a haiku. It's boring. Uh, and suddenly I read this work of fiction and I said to my client, I said, this is incredible. I just can't believe your ability to recollect your time in this country is amazing because I've never been in that country. That's just writing. And so there was a pivot in the, in the, in when I, sometime in my forties where I decided that I would read nothing but, but fiction now. And that's sort of the course that I have. I got to do a lot of reading every day for my, my day job, but it's not fun. And I, I do a lot of, light reading now. I won't call it light reading, but I do a lot. I've just finished reading Philip Roth and that's not light reading, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, I, I love it. I've not done as much reading. Like I remember saying on one of my U of T courses, the creative writing courses, I, I remember saying, I feel like an imposter there too, because everybody reads so much and I hadn't. And I remember the feedback from everybody as well. You really ought to, it's gotta, you gotta put it in your program. And so I've done a much better job of reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, and I can say that for anybody who's suffering from writer's block, don't fuss. Pick up a book. And yeah. Read. yeah. Um, is there a, a genre that you stick to, or are you all over the place? I'm all over the place. Okay. The, the one thing I will say this is I try to be fairly balanced. If I read a novel or read a book by a male author, then I, I try to flip over uh, and read an author from a female author. I just like the mix of perspective. I think we've got some incredibly talented Canadian female authors i like to i like to support them but I, they don't they don't need my praise i mean as i said i've got imposter syndrome but i just i just i just love reading it and that's why from time to time i i don't mind writing as if i i know what muriel's thinking i don't think that i would be able to successfully write as a female or write a character a female character properly do you know what i mean yeah totally 
I'm, I'm working on a, on a, a novella and uh, there's a section there that deals with and it entirely deals with a female perspective of her losing her mentor, her best friend. She watched him being killed. And I have no idea how to write that. So instead yeah. of trying to do it, I just wrote it out. I, no, I can't do this. Fortunately, some of the some of the great people in my life are, are women, both at work and at home. My wife is uh, is a is a great muse and ha- helps me. It's interesting. I don't I don't watch a lot of TV. I've just I haven't had time for it. But we will watch some stuff together, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll get frustrated. Myself. This dialogue is brutal. This has to have been written by a man. So we have, of course, has to stop the music, and we have to go figure out who wrote it. And I'm and I'm I'm not bad. I'm shooting about eighty percent of my guesses. Oh wow, that's pretty good. With regards to a novel, short story or poem, finish the following sentence. I wish I had written, is there anything that you've encountered that you wish you would have written? You know, there is a, a form of poetry called ekphrastic poetry, you know, where you're putting words to an image. And there, there's a, a monthly ekphrastic contest that goes around. And I think in August, I, I don't think I did it in August, there was a scene of a bunch of there was a scene of a bunch of towels hanging on a line. And one of the submissions that was featured in that contest, I look at that, my mind was just blown. And I thought, I, you know, that person has <laughs> thoughts and places that I don't even have places. Yeah. I, and that was impressive. And, and I think the poem the, the month before was a poem of, um, this was an amber scene with smokestacks in the background and then some sort of bird flying over a, a shore. And, and the piece that actually won that was just so incredibly powerful that I, I, I must confess I had the same sentiment then. I just think, wow, I, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. What I do when I'm, when I'm reading those, I love when I see a, a turn of phrase or a sentence, I, I'll stop and I'll read it again. And so I, 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 I do say that. And then I ask myself the question, well, why aren't you writing more and, and writing that stuff? And so, and I think, you know, we have to take chances with our writing because if we don't take if we don't put words down or break them down and revise them, we'll never get to the point where those amazing writers are. Mm, good point. Uh, on writing habits, do you have any? Yeah. You know, for me, the daily writing prompt is like Muriel's crossword. For me, getting up in the morning and writing is like people doing the Sudoku puzzle in the morning, just to keep their brains loose. So I, I have to do something first thing in the morning that involves time for myself before I start giving my time to other people. So I'm an early riser. I like to be up when the sun is up. I have a dog that doesn't make that difficult for me. And then, you know, I, I always try to chip away at something every day. What what I, I'll tell you this though, I'm not an outliner. So I, I have some larger projects in mind and I could probably stand to sit down and exercise the discipline of doing an outline. Uh, with Walter Muriel, we're getting to a point now where I really should sit down with the character sheet. <laughs> So I, I remember what I've said about them, like their names and how many children they have and stuff like that. Are um, there any programs that you use to help you with your writing? No, I don't use any programs. I mean, I use I use Word. There's one feature on Word that I love, which is on review that's read aloud. Yeah. Which I I play, you know, especially when I'm submitting something. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a terrible guy. I'm so impulsive. I just want to get the thing done and hit send. And of course, you know, there's, there's the, the most angst you feel is the second you hit send and then the second after you hit send, which is invariably when I find all the stupid mistakes I would have found if I just taken more time to, to review. Okay. So 
<laughs> the, the read aloud is is a function that helps get that out of your system, and that's been great. But otherwise, no, I use a I use I use a, a notebook, a writing notebook that one is like a business. It tells me what I've done in the day. If I've participated in any writing, I can make a note so I can go back and say, well, when did I write that thing about that? And I could find it. And then I have another notebook where I'll have concepts or if I'm working on poetry, which I don't do a lot of, but I'll start with with the notebook. Uh, but most of my writing goes into a laptop, and then I've got a series of files. Every time I work on a document, it's saved on its own day. Copyright mm-hmm. lawyers like to tell authors, we like to know when you've conceived of things, so stay organized. And most of Walter Mir- and Muriel <laughs> gets typed in with my thumbs into the comment field on my smartphone. A few years ago, I discovered a uh, a writing aid, if you will, and uh, I think it was like it's $100 to buy it, but it's called the Snowflake Method. Have you heard of it? No, well, I haven't. Tell me about it. Well, basically, you start the very you, you type out your one sentence of your idea, and then the next one you'll you'll expand on it, and then you'll expand. And there's um, the guy who developed the program is an author, and he gives you uh, there's an audible or you can read it at the same time or whatever uh, about what and how things should go into each section. And by the time that you end up in the, the very last section, you've got, uh, of course, one of those sections is a place for all your characters. Mm-hmm. And all the information about each character is there. And then it builds like a snowflake. You know, your story grows from a triangle, add another triangle, add another triangle, add another triangle, and it just grows into the snowflake. And that hence the snowflake method, but it organizes everything into one place that you can refer back to on like page nine or page eight or section seven or whatever. But at the same time you're doing that, it's also preparing your, your, um, query letters. It's making that for you as you go. That, no, that's great. But FYI, query letters are what authors use, not not imposter authors like myself. Well, but uh, you're getting yet. there eventually one day. Yeah, you know, I I, I think having you having said that suggests to me why I perhaps think of myself as a short story writer because I haven't yet developed the ability to look beyond the 2,500 words. You know, I I can get a story out world paint it and develop my arc, have a point, and I can do that in 2,500 words. I don't quite know what the horizon would look like if I went beyond that. No, but it's you were talking about character sheets earlier. You could use that character sheet just to keep all your characters in line. Yeah, that's, you know, and that and that's probably something I should look at, especially for Walter and Muriel. Yeah, uh, I've got character sheets I can send you too, by the way. That's right. I remember getting one of one of the writing courses. It was like nine pages long, and it was incredibly the amount of detail that I wanted. And I thought, wow. You don't have to answer yet. everything, though. Well, and I can't because, you know, the one thing I've learned, and this is the strangest thing for me, is that is that these characters, Walter and Muriel, they're growing. They're developing. They're telling me about them as we're going. Well, yeah. So it's not, it's not like I've taken these characters and, and manipulated them into a, into a story that I want. You know, I have an opportunity to take them on a different turn because they, they present them to me as the, as the prompt. So that's the interesting piece. But I, you're right. I do need to keep it all in order as to <laughs> what they do. Uh, the, one of the, my recent interviews, um, the question came up about characters and, um, it was like, so do you flesh your characters out before you write or do you let them dictate the story? And their response was generally they let the characters dictate the story. 
I, as a writer, may want it to go one way, but them as a character are taking it somewhere I don't want it to go. But you have to go where the characters go. So that was uh, that was a pretty interesting point. And I think Walter and Muriel are doing that with you as well. Yeah, no, and it's it's that's a great joy, that's for sure. What do you see as your biggest setback with regards to your writing? So, as you probably know from my writing, I'm very dialogue driven. I'm very heavy on the dialogue, and so, and I'm not a screenwriter, and I've, I've tried it, and I'm not good at it, and I don't like it, but I like the dialogue. And and I've got to find a way to step back from that a little bit and use the narrator's voice to to punctuate the story, to give access uh, into the character, and not just leave it uh, to the to the what's exchanged in spoken word between the characters. So I think that's a challenge that I have, and I think that I'm struggling with with how to do that. In in the short story course, I've done some short stories now that have very very little dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. it's there really just to make an emphasis or a point and everything has come through the narrator. And I'm, I'm not saying I've, I've got it figured out yet. So I think that's still the greatest challenge. And I think the other challenge that I have is, is, uh, is uh, to use the phrase head hopping. I, I do like to write from a particular perspective or point of view. And in one of the writing courses, I was challenged to write from a second person point of view. Well, Randy, if you were there, you would have said this, you would have done that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like being exposed to something that you, that you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't have, you know, the minute that you, you try it, you want it all the more. And so I, I've, I've started to put that into some of my writing and it's caused a little bit of dissonance in some readers. It's not necessarily head hopping, but you change the perspective and that's not clear. Mm. And so I, I think that, that those mechanical techniques I'm still struggling with and, and working on. And then the larger point is exactly what we talked about in the last question, which is, is, you know, somebody in the writing community said once, like, why can't you just take all of these and do it, do, do it every day? And before you know it, you've got 80,000 words and you've got a book and, and I can do 80,000 words of Walter Muriel. I mean, Randy, I've got a manuscript of 65,000 words from, <laughs> we've probably got 150,000 words now, Randy. <laughs> um, but it, but it's not the longer narr- narrative arc. And I think that's the, that's the next challenge. Do I have a novella or a novel in me? I don't know that I do. I love the short snippy things and that's what Walter Muriel gives me. And whether or not I can ever step outside of that, we'll have to see. Within the group, many, many times you've heard people or read people say, you need to show more than you tell, which is, you know, really big in writing circles. Show, don't tell. And dialogue is one way to show rather than tell. Mm-hmm. But it's finding that balance because there's still, you still need to be able to tell something yourself as the narrator. Well, and I, and this is where I struggle because I really do. I love the dialogue. I love the showing. I love having you sit there and feel like you're sitting in the laundromat with me or the, or the, you know, under the, under the hairdryer with me at the beauty salon and, and, and watching it and forming well, your would, own impressions. That would uh, draw some, some, some looks, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. It sure would. We would probably, we'd probably have a, have a crowd. We'd have our own podcast and, uh, <laughs> Um, but I, th- I think that's 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 exactly the point that I'm 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 working on right now is is what is what is showing and what is telling and what's the difference and right now I just want to make sure that I'm telling a story 
that 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 is accessible to the readers and that they can follow along. The the one thing I do know is that in some of the longer short stories that I've submitted to competitions, I put too many characters in, and I call them pylons. And you got to get rid of the pylons. Mm. You know, just really focus on what matters. As you know, as, as Chekhov says, everything in a short story has to do something. If you've got a gun in the first scene, it better go off. Yeah. And and I think the other thing that I'm being accused of in some of my stories is is it's a re- it's a longer story. I try to put in two thousand words what is actually a five or six thousand word story, you know. And so that metric, I think, I'm still struggling with, and it's just simply because as a as a young writer, even though I'm in my late fifties, as a young writer, I'm still just enjoying the craft of getting them down. But I can I can feel that my writing is improving. That's that gives me satisfaction, as as it should. Yes. I guess the last question I'm going to ask you for the day, this day at least. What do you feel are the strong and weak parts of your writing? I guess you kind of tipped on it here a bit, but what would be your strongest part of your writing and your weakest? I think the strongest part of my writing is my dialogue. And I don't say that with any sort of conceit. I think that I really focus hard on making sure that I convey to the reader what I think the character is saying in the way that the character would say it. So I'm I'm very happy with my dialogue and I'm very happy with all of that. I would think that the weakest part of my writing is the fact that I leave dots and lines for the reader to put together. So so some you know it's like it's like telling a funny joke and you tell it in such a way that some people get it and they chuckle and then you know it takes a it takes a little while longer for the pennies to drop in the corners of the room before everybody starts to laugh and i i, I think i do that it's like a double entendre i use that word today in in walter muriel it's like a double entendre you know you get the first meaning and then the second meaning comes and and i i always want to do that and the the issue as a writer i think that you don't ever want to leave your reader guessing you don't ever want to leave your reader feeling awkward that they haven't got the punchline or you didn't deliver it. That's your job as a writer is to take the reader to your point. And so I think that I'm still, I've got to get away from the tricks and the, well, I call them the stupid pet tricks. And I've just really got to get back to, got to get back to short declarative sentences that really drive the point and then go back and figure out if there are any other elements that can, that can make it a little bit more interesting. I think there's nothing worse that a writer can do to a reader is to leave them hanging or guessing what when you end it and it's they're unsatisfied. That's the worst thing we could do. Or where they have to make an inference on a fact. If they yeah. have to make an inference on a, on an emotion or, or a feeling. If it's important to the development of the story, if there's a specific color or or chair or character or mustache or hair color that's important, by God tell it and then go through all of the stuff, you know, the stupid stuff that, that, you know, all the little bells and whistles that we put in there because we think our writing is clever. Some of that stuff can find its way to the cutting room floor, I'm sure. Mm. And that's certainly true of me. I, I don't know if you saw it recently, but I posted a video on uh, Canadian creative writers by Jerry Jenkins. He's a prolific writer. He, the video is on uh, how to show and not tell. Really interesting video. Uh, it's It's on the group. You should be able to find it. Uh, he wrote uh, the Left Behind series. Well, I am going to go and, and have a look at that uh, this weekend. There's a couple of contests this weekend, so I've got a little bit of writing to do, but I, I will I will look at that. I think we can all improve on that. And, and the other thing that I, I can say is I think by asking yourself the question, have I said enough, we can make sure that the writing that we're conveying is authentic. 
you know, I think you want to give the reader the sense that you know a hell of a lot more about the subject than you're conveying. Mm. Um, and I think that you can, you can give that by making sure that key pieces aren't left out. So you were talking about dialogue and, and I'm thinking back to the, the, the plethora of dialogue between Walter and, and Muriel and throughout the dialogue from March up until today, throughout the dialogue, you haven't strayed from who they are. Their, 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 their dialogue has been consistent. You know, because Walter will not come out, I, I'm assuming at least, that Walter will not come out and say something so profound that you wonder where it actually came from. Because we've gotten to know how he's going to talk. We've gotten to know how Muriel's going to talk. You know, like in today's prompt, you, I, I can't remember what the word was, but Peter's response, or Walter's response was, Peter. And we knew, we know what he thinks of Peter, and we know where this could go. And, but you're, you're staying true to the dialogue. And if you start changing your character for whatever reason, I mean, but consistency is what we've come to know with Walter and Muriel, right, in their dialogue. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that. And, and Peter, of course, is the one element in Walter's life which makes him seem human because he's got this, this irrational hatred of his, his soon-to-be ex-son-in-law. I don't um, give it away. Don't give it I, away. I won't give it away. <laughs> I won't give it away. I just, all I, all I can say is that Walter's got some very hot peppers that he's going to mix into a rub one day and, and Peter's <laughs> not going to be pleased. So, but at some point, but I, but I'm pleased to hear you say that. And I'm sorry for those, if anybody read the stuff and said, well, I don't know who Peter is. You, you kind of got to get into the series in order to understand who Peter is. But that's, that's, I, I think at some point, I, I think I owe it to them to do that. Let's, let's um, plug it now, right here. Yeah. Well, we do have a, we do have a, I do have a, a 65,000 word manuscript that's got to be edited. And that only takes us, Randy, up till last October. You'll recall I called you and said, look at are these prompts original? And you said, yeah, they're original. So. You know, and everything that I've written is original. So we're ready to go. We've just got to get the rest harvested onto the manuscript and then edited, put it back together. And, but I also think that, you know, they're going to live on. I just don't want to, I don't want to commit to doing it once, not, not taking them out again. They're fun. They are. Well, Andy, it's been, uh, it's been fun to redo this without any interruptions from my cat <laughs> socks. But thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for your time. It means a lot to me that you were not only willing to do it once, but twice. Mm-hmm. No, no, I want, I want to say thanks to you, Randy. I mean, as everybody on the writing, in your writing community says, I mean, you got seven or 800 followers on this community and, and you're, you, you, you give so much of yourself. I don't know how you have time to do it all. And I think I said the last time that, you know, the real test of character is when two people come together, they should each leave the moment feeling better about themselves than the other person. And, and Randy Lacey, I certainly can say that of you. You make me feel better about myself. And, and I hope in the process you feel that, uh, that you've developed as well. So thank you so much for what you do. You're a great leader. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Say hello to uh, Andrea and Brooke. I will. You take care of yourself, okay? Okay. You have been listening to Between the Lines with Randy Lacey. In future episodes, I will be talking with authors and writers from across the country about all things writing. So if you like what you heard, I encourage you to tune in to some future episodes of Between the Lines. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. 
allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. 